WNYC Studios is supported by Earth Justice. As a national legal nonprofit, Earth Justice has more than 200 full time lawyers who fight for a healthy environment. They're challenging utilities to lower your power bill and fight climate change by helping communities achieve clean, affordable energy for all. From stopping new gas plants to helping advance the growth of rooftop solar, Earth Justice is accelerating the clean energy transition so we can all breathe easy. Visit earthjustice.org slash power to learn more. That's earthjustice.org slash power. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radiolab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and I am joined by our show's former intern, Vanessa Handy. Hey, Vanessa. Hey, Kai. So you are here to make fun of your elders, no? A little bit. You know, (laughs) something like that. (laughs) Okay. So a few months ago, I was at my mom's house in my childhood home, sitting on her bed while I watched her braid my aunt's hair. And to pass the time, we were marathoning reruns of Good Times. Good Times, as in JJ and, you know, little Janet Jackson and all of that. Yes. And honestly, between the hair braiding and the reruns, I mean, I can't think of a more Black-centric activity. Truly, (laughs) truly. Yeah. And so we sat there laughing at JJ's questionable choices in sleepwear. But it shocked me that after every episode, even after all of these years— They barely knew the words to the theme song. (laughs) I mean, every time a new episode would start, they were silent until this one line kicked in. It's the part that goes, Keeping your head above water. Keeping your head above water. Making a way when you can. Temporary layoffs. Good times. Good times. Exactly. And I always remember my mom cuts in right at the part where they go, Scratching and surviving. Yes. But they didn't know the rest. No, not at all. Just that part. And when it kicked in, they would be singing at the top of their lungs, dancing and clapping and laughing at me because I was seriously cringing at them. Because old people's brains don't work like yours. I'm sorry, Vanessa. (laughs) Why why is this on your mind right now? Well, honestly, Kai, it was just such a pure and silly moment, but it took me back to my childhood. I grew up in a house of six, and my parents worked full-time while my siblings and I were in school. And the days were chaotic, to say the least. But when we got to kick back on the weekend and watch TV together, it was like a rare moment of serene family time. And we'd be watching these comedies like Good Times, Family Matters, and The Cosby Show. And And is that because your family just likes comedy? Maybe, but honestly, Kai, comedies were the only kinds of shows where we could watch Black families like us experiencing joy and relishing each other. That is really true. I know exactly what you mean. It was the same thing. I was a kid when these shows came out, and it was the same thing for my family. I mean, I'm still young, but I miss those days. And now there's been an evolution of Black comedy. It's not just family sitcoms anymore. It's shows that center Black women and 
Honestly, I wouldn't watch some of them with my mom. (laughs) (laughs) There's shows like The Black Lady Sketch Show and Abbott Elementary that are leading the genre. And I really want to understand this moment from the people that are shaping it. Black women. So I sat down with Sam J. She's a three-time Emmy-nominated comedian, former SNL writer, and she had her own HBO late-night show. I asked her what this moment means for her. There's something changing in America. There's something changing with the pulse of the culture and people and what people want to see. And I think people's minds are just more open to seeing diversity. And it's not like, oh, this is crazy. I'm seeing a family of Black people in a Cheerios commercial. It's very normal. Art changes and culture changes with art. It's just this in this kind of a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. I think sometimes we uh, we get obsessed with ourselves. and We mm-hmm. like to believe we're the first ones doing something. But I feel like when the Fred Sanfords and the Good Times and all those shows that were full of what's happening— because I know I grew up in a very black century household, and those were the things that we watched. And my mother made me very aware of black actresses and black actors and black artists and took me to see Alvin Haley. So I think, you know, it's always been a culture of knowing that we have to look for each other and find right. each other, for right. sure. Yeah. Got to give the old people their props. Yeah. Well, you mentioned growing up, you were watching these black family shows. Did that have any influence on you wanting to get into comedy? Like, why— why do you do this in the first place? I mean, I wouldn't even say specifically the black shows. I just really loved TV, and I really loved sitcoms, and I really loved comedians. Those were things I've always kind of really been into since I was a kid. I was very, like, aware of who the comedians were, and, like, when they were in a show, I, like, knew they were coming from stand-up. I was, like, staying up late to watch Comic View and Def Jam and— HBO specials and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I it just was a natural thing for me. It was just like a natural inclination that I had. So when it comes to your career in comedy, when did you first start performing? At 29, I was back in Boston and I just, you know, started out open mics. So what were you doing up until that point throughout your 20s? Mm, a bunch of bullshit, you know, working at odd jobs and retail spaces and office spaces and doing things I hated and things that felt very unfulfilling and just kind of floating through life trying to figure out how I was going to feel good about this experience. Was there a turning point? Um, I don't know if it was like a turning point. I just know I was feeling like this can't be the whole jam. You know, like if this is it, I don't, I don't even know if I want to play anymore because I just wasn't being stimulated, and I didn't feel like I was doing anything that really mattered. So it's like kind of this feeling of you're just surviving, and I was kind of just tired of feeling that way. And I started to think about when I felt happy and when I felt alive and connected and useful, and I was like, oh, it's usually when I'm making people laugh or I'm like at a bar and I've suddenly got a bunch of strangers (laughs) around me and I'm— making some point, but also being funny. And, like, I just was like, all right, well, maybe go towards that. And I didn't know where it was going to take me, but I was like, maybe that's the beginning of whatever is for you type of thing. Yeah. You said you wanted something that made you feel connected and useful. Do you mean more to a community or just to yourself? To to this experience that is living. Hmm. Say more. Yeah, I mean— 
I wasn't like, oh, I need to be more connected to the black community. I wasn't like, I need to be more connected to women or I I just needed to feel alive. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I was a part of this thing we're trying to do in some kind of way, you know? So it really was just feeling connected to like living because it, it, I was a very, uh, I was in a very disassociated place with it. Right. Yeah. So you talked about some of the kind of stepping stones on the way to, I guess, having comedy as your career. What were some of those stepping stones for you after you started doing stand-up again? I mean, so many little moments, I think. Just simple stuff like getting past that local clothes, which means like, oh, now you can get booked there and like get paid, even if it's like 25 bucks a show. Like that was a big deal. It's like, oh, I'm getting paid to do stand up. I'm not stuck in open mics anymore. I have like real clubs I can go to. So that was like dope and huge. And then starting to be asked to like go out of town was like a big deal. It's like, oh, I get to go to like Connecticut, you know, <laughs> go to Vermont or whatever. That was like a thing. Like, cause all of it is just, you know, like you're fueling the dream and you're showing yourself what you're willing to do for it and how committed you are to it. And, you know, just uh, getting into comedy festivals. It was like, oh, I got accepted into a festival. Yeah. It all adds up, you know, like it all feeds the dragon. This is Notes from America. More of comedian Sam Jay's conversation with Vanessa Handy after a break. WNYC Studios is supported by Earth Justice. As a national legal nonprofit, Earth Justice has more than 200 full-time lawyers who fight for a healthy environment. They're challenging utilities to lower your power bill and fight climate change by helping communities achieve clean, affordable energy for all. From stopping new gas plants to helping advance the growth of rooftop solar, Earth Justice is accelerating the clean energy transition so we can all breathe easy. Visit earthjustice.org slash power to learn more. That's earthjustice.org slash power. Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. Join us for If This Hall Could Talk, a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk. And together, we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts. It's Notes from America, and here's more of comedian and actor Sam Jay in conversation with our own Vanessa Handy. I noticed that obviously you talk about your live experience. A lot of your humor is about being a Black lesbian. But I'm wondering how much of it is a conscious choice to bring your identity to comedy? Uh, I mean, I never really thought about it like I'm being a Black lesbian, but I was very aware that by being myself— I was bringing a perspective that wasn't necessarily there. Um, I don't know what else to talk about. <laughs> right. Uh, to be honest, it just, 
that is what's happening. And those were always kind of the comics I liked that talk lived experience and kind of make their micro thing macro. Like how you take this and then apply it to the, everybody else and how they can relate to it. And also how my personal relationship may be a reflection of larger relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. I married my wife. She was 37. I was 35. We got 35 baggage. Baggage. And we moved fast. I'm not gonna lie, we were lesbians. We did it, you know? We got married super fast. We met in February, we got married in June. Lesbian style, don't judge me. I live my life how I want. It's hard though, it's hard merging lives, you know? And we got other factors, you know what I mean? With ladies, our periods have synced up, it's crazy. No one's discussing that. The lesbian community's not, you know, message boarding about this shit. We should be, it's a problem. The period sync up is huge. It's a huge issue, man. It's hard. We're fighting. I don't even know why. We're just two broads for one week out of every month going at it. I don't even understand why. Just emotions out of fucking control. She's in the bedroom crying over Love Actually. I'm in the living room crying over ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries. <laughs> Losing my mind. Speaking of choices, like comedic choices, you know, you are poking fun at yourself, your own community, your own experiences, but also other people. Like, I've watched some sets where you are talking about the queer community, Me Too, feminism, and those are choices. There's, I guess, quote-unquote risks in how that's going to be perceived Mm -hmm. by the audience. So are you afraid of getting canceled? Uh, Not anymore. Why were you before? I think because I was— newer in my career, so it sounded scarier. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's all, honestly. So why not now? Just I time? Can't, I can't do anything about it. Mm. You know what I mean? Not to say it will never happen to me or whatever, but I can't create from a space of fear. Mm. Mm. I know my intent on things, and, you know, sometimes intentions get lost in this house. But they truly do. It can happen. But I know, like, in everything that I speak about, I'm always trying to better the thing. You may not agree with my way to better the thing, but I am always trying to better the situation and move the conversation forward. Fostering and furthering conversation is what Sam's HBO series Pause is all about. It's a different take on the late-night talk show format. The episodes bounce between intimate interviews, skits, and house party conversations that Sam refers to as drunken pontification, all with the goal of examining the cultural issues that divide us. Do you have friends that you feel are like homophobic? You know what I'm saying? Like straight friends that are homophobic. I have some people who have some homophobic ideologies and they don't know it. A lot of my homies, right, they have homophobic tendencies, I yeah, would say. Right, right, right. You can call eating a hot dog or a banana in public. You're two steps away from that beat scene and mood like. I think the phobia got to drop because nobody's scared of y'all. They are, they just don't know. No, we're they not scared. Say they're I don't scared. think it's scared. Right. I think it's how you base fear, it? though. Just, I don't think... For me, watching it, I think it really feels more out of the box than other shows that I've watched. And so I want to know what, what was your inspiration for the show in that format? I just kind of thought about what I wanted to see that I wasn't seeing. And I was like, oh, I just never really feel like I see shows where they just talk to actual people about what they're thinking about all this stuff politically and socially. You know, we always go to Conal West for this or this person for that. And it's like, 
all right, I, I'm very thoroughly understand these people's opinions on this, and they're kind of speaking for how black people feel. This is the way black America feels about this. But I'm like, but, but, like, I don't know if, like, my homies on my block feel that way about this. When I'm having conversations at parties, they're not as PC as what's being passed around. People are more conflicted about things than we're hearing. And I think that stuff is important to hear because I think that's the the stuff that brings people together. These very, like, hard lines in the sand, I think, kind of take away from us. And so I just kind of wanted to create something that I wanted to see, honestly. Sam J has come a long way since her start in stand-up. She's been a writer, host, executive producer, and can now add actor to that list. Recently, she had her film debut in the Netflix rom-com You People. The director hand-picked Sam from the world of independent comics and asked her to join his creative world as Mo, Jonah Hill's best friend. You're dating a black girl, black girl? I mean, I wouldn't put it that way. Bro, you bagged a real one? This is crazy. Wait a minute, dog. this is way out of your league. If this girl is what you say she is, then I'm pretty sure she smells like cocoa butter and expectations, bro. You may want to slow down. What do you mean? The Black Best Friend, it has a lot of history with being, I guess, tokenizing. Did you ever feel like you were going to be put in that position? I will say, of course, that enters your mind because it is, you know, the classic tokenizing thing. But then looking at the material and the fact that they were going to let me do me, I didn't feel like that's what it was going to come off as. Yeah. You got to try stuff. Yeah. And it's like, even if it was like, oh, if people saw it and they were like, that's crap. To me, it's like, you know, I don't think sometimes the audience thinks about what it is to be inside of a thing and inside of a, a creative art form that you're trying to grow in. So it's like, do I not take a role where I get to act across from Eddie Murphy, Jonah Hill for the first time? I can learn around this level of artistry because it might come off too tokenizing. I mean, it's a decision to, that needs to be made. And it's not necessarily just like an easy one to call because even if, I walk away, people hate the role. I still got the education. Yeah. And that I can apply past that moment. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's an art form at the end of the day. That's what I'm saying. And I think sometimes <laughs> people forget that yeah, part of it. Definitely. Yeah. I I want to get to the bigger picture a bit here as I wrap up and think about what you get out of humor, like, you talked about not operating out of fear and using it to connect to life and just feel more alive. What do you get out of using humor to talk about your identity? Like, why do that? Why comedy? I can't I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very bad at drawing, but I've always felt like I had things to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, I don't know. I'm just, I've always kind of just been naturally funny and, and I've always kind of, always looked at things from a um, perspective of, like, this is funny because people are so just dumb and crazy. So I find a lot of how we move around this world uh, funny in a way that I don't think most people would think. Yeah. And I always felt like when you made someone laugh, they thought about the thing more than when you just kind of, like, preached a thing at them. Mm-hmm. They're more open to the idea, and they're, like, if I come in and I'm, like, in a room, 
But I'm like, white people, you guys really need to start treating white people better because you are being bad. And I'm just like, nah, 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 yeah, nah, preaching, nah. yeah. Eh. But if you put it in a joke or you figure out this way to get to like, we all need to start treating each other better because we all are kind of like trash. And you, you know, you can get everyone kind of humming to the same tune because they're laughing together. I just think it's this very uh, galvanizing force. That was actor and comedian Sam Jay in conversation with our former intern, Vanessa Handy. We miss having you around, Vanessa. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on Instagram at Notes with Kai. If you heard something you want to talk to us about, please do. Go to notesfromamerica.org and look for the green record button. You can leave a voicemail right there. Theme music and mixing by Jared Paul. Reporting, producing, and editing by Karen Frillman, Regina Dehir, Rahima Nasa, Kushan Abadar, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. Andre Robert Lee is our executive producer, and I am Kai Wright. Next week, we are celebrating Juneteenth live from Houston. I cannot wait. I hope you'll join us. Talk to you then. WNYC Studios is supported by Earth Justice. As a national legal nonprofit, Earth Justice has more than 200 full-time lawyers who fight for a healthy environment. They're challenging utilities to lower your power bill and fight climate change by helping communities achieve clean, affordable energy for all. From stopping new gas plants to helping advance the growth of rooftop solar, Earth Justice is accelerating the clean energy transition so we can all breathe easy. Visit earthjustice.org slash power to learn more. That's earthjustice.org slash power.